Achenu part three, Masachet Peya, chapter three. Continuing our learning to be part of this global initiative to bring blessings and success to the Jewish people, Achenu, chapter three of Peya, Malbanot HaTzuvua. Here in this case, you've got squares of grain that were planted between olive trees. I'm sure from the sky that looks beautiful, but what about Peya? Each one of those squares is essentially a separate field, and therefore you must leave Peya each one of those squares. But Hillel say, I don't think so. You just need to leave Peya one square for all of the different squares, because they're all part of a single field, despite the gaps between them. Umode, Beishamai agree to Beishelel. That if the edges of the rows were connected, so they touched each other, then you can view it as one field. Then you only have to give payah as if it was one field, and that will suffice. Someone harvests his field in patches. So he first cuts only the ripened stalks and leaves the ones that are moist still standing. So you're perhaps treating it as separate fields. Then he, when he comes to harvest that next bit, he then separates payer from each one of those patches because it's considered a separate field. The rabbis say, we disagree. No, it's really one big field and you only have to leave payer one time. If you have planted dill or mustard, in two or three places in a field, he gives separate payer each one of those places since those crops are generally planted in patches rather one continuous stretch each patch is a separate field and consequently would require its own payer now vegetables are generally not subject to payer so what am i even talking about because they're not kept in storage those rules from the very first year we learnt. but dill and mustard are vegetables that are grown because they're edible seeds and they do keep in storage and therefore they are an exception to the rule of payer. If you pluck out the moist onions of your onion crop selling in the market and keeps the dry ones in the ground to be harvested for storage, then you have to give two separate types of payer because you're treating it like two separate fields. The same applies to chickpeas before it gets made into hummus. The same would be true of a vineyard. If a person harvests his crop of chickpeas or grapes in two stages, the moist ones for the market, the later ones for remaining in storage, when they ripen, they're like two fields. And as we're talking about onions, let's keep going, no need to cry. If one first thins out the onion crop to make room for the remaining onions to grow properly, too much is growing, so you get rid of some. When he later harvests the crop, he gives pear from what is left for what he left growing. Only the onions that were left growing require payer. There's no payer given for the ones that were originally plucked out the ground. They weren't harvested. They were gotten rid of so the ones in the ground can grow. If you pluck out the moist ones and later the dry ones for one purpose, this is the same as the very first case of our Mishnah, except that here, both the moist ones that he plucks first and the dry ones that he plucks later are intended for the same purpose either for the market or for storage. In that case, no simen call. you just have to leave payer from what was left in the ground and that suffices for the entire crop. 
Mother onions. Yes, an onion has a mum. They're the ones left in the ground to produce seeds. So, they have to take pear. Rabbi Yosef says, no, they don't. Because in the final analysis, these onions are eaten only in an emergency because they're really there just for the seeds. Malbunos Habatsalim. He got square onions. Sorry, squares, oh, not square onions. Squares of onions that were planted between patches of other vegetables. So you got vegetables interrupting the onions. Rabbi Yosef Omer, they're separate fields. So you got to get set pay off each one of those patches. You only have to take once. Since the onions last in storage where the vegetables don't, the rabbis consider the vegetables to be the areas where they're planted to be insignificant. And they're really part of a larger area of, of an onion field. And we view it as an onion field, not one that's been interrupted with vegetables. Now, brothers... Ha'achim shechalku. So we had mummy onions, but now we've got human brothers. Ha'achim shechalku. You got two brothers divided a field that they inherited in the Yerusha. What do these guys do? No sense. They payers. They have to take two lots of pear, each one for his own half. Chalzuv They made peace, I guess, and they decided to rejoin and all join together again. They give pear. No sense. Pear achas. They only have to give pear once. Shenaim shelachu es ha'ilam. If two people bought a type of tree, there's obligated in pear. They give one pair for the whole tree. That seems pretty simple. However, why is business so difficult? This one bought the north side of the tree. And the other Shmerel bought the south side of the tree. Each have to take pay up for the part of the tree that they own. Someone sells individual tree sprouts. Small trees that one generally buys in order to uproot them and then transplant them somewhere else. So you've sold individual tree sprouts full of fruit within his field, but you didn't sell the land between them. The buyer has to give payoff for each one of the trees separately because they're separate entities. On Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, Amosai, when? Because he's not entirely sure that this is always true. When the owner of the field did not leave any over any of those sprouting trees for himself, but he sold all of them to the buyer. If he left over some of them for himself, then he gives one payer at the end for the whole field of tree sprouts, even for the ones that he sold. Right, Mishnah Vav. There are eight Mishnahs in this chapter, so let's learn the last three. Rabbi Eliezer teaches us the following. Land that has an area large enough for, plant, for planting at least a quarter of a cub of seeds. Now, if you want to know, a cub measures, cub measure holds the volume of 24 eggs. So we're talking about 104 square amas, if that makes a difference. Now, so a land that was an area large enough for planting at least a quarter of a cup of seeds is obligated in pear. If it's smaller than that, it is not, because it has to be a field. So here is the definition of a field. Rabbi Shura says, Even land that produces only two sayers of seed is called a field. Rabbi Tafrin says, a different measurement. Shisha, shisha, tefachim. Even six by six tefachim is obligated in pear, because that also would be defined as a field. 
Rabbi Huda ben Beseira says, Kadei Lixo Velishnos, definition of a field, land that produces only enough to reap our one fistful of produce, and repeat, is obligated in payout. So, enough to reap one fistful, and then another fistful. Because you would grab one, and then grab another one in the other hand, that would be the smallest amount for a field. For halacha, who does halacha go like? Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Tarifun, Rabbi Huda ben Becerra. The answer is, the halacha follows Rabbi Huda ben Becerra. Rabbi Kiva, Omer, Kiva says, Karaka kol shu Even a tiny amount, Rabbi Kiva seemed to come to the party too late, because we already said who the, who the halacha is like. Even the smallest amount is high, is obligated in payer, uva bikurim, and in the obligation to bring first fruits, and to write a prusbal on the basis of that land that you've got, land which you can use to get your money back. And to acquire along with this field, movable property, which is different to land, movable property offers no security for a loan. While they remain in the borrower's possession, only land can act as security for a loan. Um, movable property through money, a deed, or an act of chazaka. We'll leave that for the moment because we do not have time. Hakosev nechosav shechivmira nebuch. Someone writes over his property to others while he is lying seriously ill, about to die. But he didn't specify that he was doing so because he felt that death, death was near. So he just did it as a thing to do, making a will, but he didn't tell anyone that he thinks he was about to leave this world. Shia Karakokos should be left over for himself any amount of land. Then, Matanosa Matana, his gift of the property to others is a valid gift, even if he recovers. Had his gift been motivated by fear that his death was near, then he would not have saved some property for himself. Therefore, we assume that it was a straightforward gift, and even if he recovers, but he left over, why would he leave it over for himself? Clearly, he didn't think he was going to die. Lo Shia Kauka Kolshub, he didn't leave over any land for himself, because his gift was made in error. He didn't think he was going to die, so he really had no intention of giving over the land to somebody else. What happens if you're, you're very ill and you've given over your property to your, to your children? And you gave over to your wife some land as well. She therefore, thereby, what happens to her? She forfeits her right to collect her ksuba from the properties assigned to the sons. So this case is a little complicated, but we can say it like the follows. We assume that since the husband honoured her by including her and granting her some land, together with what he gave his kids, she has agreed to forfeit her right to collect the kusuba from that property, and that is why she remains silent and she just takes what the land that she was given. Rabbi Yosi says she accepts it upon herself on her own to take some land among the sons, even the husband didn't actually give it to her formally, she loses the rights to Kusuba and she keeps the land that she has got. Final Mishnah, HaKosev Nechotsev La'avda. Someone writes over all his property to his Canaanite slave. So any non-Jewish slave that's owned by a Jew, the master can free him by giving him a bill of freedom, which states that the master is giving the slave to himself, he now owns himself, as it were. So you've given over your property to a slave, the slave goes free, Yotzab and Chorin. She had culture that the master in wording the document leaves over for himself any amount of land, the slave does not go free. Rabbi Shimon says, No, he goes free. Even if the master keeps some of the land, until he says to him, All my property is given over 
to Mr. So-and-so, except for one ten thousandth of it. In that case, Rabbi Shimon argue, agrees that the slave does not go free because that one ten thousandth might indeed refer to the slave himself. Please learn. Please bring merits and blessings to the Jewish world through our learning of Masachas Peah and the redemption to come soon. We can connect to the Holy Land and to actually put these laws into practice. Halacha the Have a very lovely day.